Well, good morning, Battle Creek Church, and uh, welcome back to our series, There is No Place Like Home. And we've been walking through all the characters of the Wizard of Oz in this family series uh, and looking at different things. And this lion uh, is the biggest scaredy cat in the world. Uh, his whole hangup is fear, uh, scared of everything, zero courage. And I think if we're honest, all of us can identify just a little bit with uh, being scared of something, right? I mean, uh, maybe not like that guy, but uh, man, there's some areas in our life that, that make us cringe. And there's some very familiar fears that we all have, that we know about, that we think of maybe the fear of heights or something like that. But there's this thing called Google that opens the entire world of fears, all right? I mean, and you can research all kinds of crazy fears which I did this week. And so um, if you're joining us online or in the chapel or here in this room, uh, I'm gonna list for us a couple of fears that I would love for you to help me out with that, that maybe you're familiar with or not familiar with. And so I'm gonna put it up on the screen. And then what I'd love for you to do is to help me out. And I'm gonna just throw you a softball on this first one, all right? So our first fear this morning, claustrophobia. Anybody know what this one is? What is it? Tight spaces, right? You, the, the, elevator D, uh, the elevator doors open and you see the group in there and you're like, no, I don't think so, right? It just freaks you out being in there. Well, here's the second one and my fear is trying to say this next one, um, but it is uh, arachibutyrophobia. Anybody know what this is? Anybody? It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth, all right? Uh, it's when you make that sandwich on that fresh bread and you take a bite and it sticks to the roof of your mouth and you have a little bit of a panic attack, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's a big one. How about this next one? Uh, anatidephobia. Anybody know what anatidephobia would be? I didn't either, but that's where Google came in, all right? It's the fear of being watched by a duck, I didn't know this existed, but I think I could get down with this. I think that would freak me out if a duck was just staring at me all the time. Um, but how about this? This may be for some of our students or some of our uh, cell phone dependent people. Uh, th this next one, nomophobia, is the fear of your cell phone battery going dead. Anybody experience this, right? You're, you're streaming and you're watching the game or Disney Plus or something like that and you just watch the, the, the energy battery life go down, it turns red and you get to like 3% and you're like, there's no charger in sight. But here's the one that I see over and over, and it mostly happens at our church in the parking lot about 1230, all right? It's this one called decidophobia. Anybody know what this one is? It's the fear of making the wrong decision, right? Somebody says this simple question, where do you want to go to lunch? I don't know. Why are you asking me to make this decision? You make this decision. I don't want to make the decision. You make the decision, right? It's decidophobia. It's one of those things where you're going, I don't want to make the wrong decision. Now, some of these are easy to talk about and laugh about, but really today, as we continue our series in No Place Like Home, is we're going to talk today about courage. Now, I just wanna remind you that even though this is a family series and a parenting series, this series is for everyone. If you've got little kids or you've got elementary age kids or teenagers or grandkids, or maybe you don't have kids just quite yet, or you're an empty nester, or maybe you're just one of ours that serve in our next gen ministries with our kiddos and you're pouring into uh, these students as a Christ follower, this message is for you today. 
We need you all in with this. And we keep saying there is no place like home to instill some of the specific things in your child's life. Uh, we, we talked about having a brain, which Pastor Alex shared with us is, it, it, it's obvious, like our kids' brains do not work, almost scientifically, until you're in your 20s. And then we talk about having a heart and not just being kind or doing nice things, but having a heart for the mission of Christ. But today we're gonna to talk about having courage. But courage isn't really the ability to just make it through a haunted house like we did here around Halloween or facing some kind of irrational fear. Courage is not even the absence of fear. I mean, I, I think we think that courage means not being afraid of anything. Uh, and the truth is if you have no fear, there's probably something wrong with you, right? Uh, you need to have a little bit of fear just in order to stay alive, okay? Uh, I mean, if you have no fear of pain or injury that may come from like a fire, you're gonna stick your hand in the fire and you're gonna get hurt. Courage is not getting rid of your fears. It's being able to face your fears because you know there's purpose to your life that we have this reaction a lot of times as parents to protect our kids, right? You got little kids and you're out for a picnic for the first time and bees start coming around, what do you do? You take a swat at the bees, you're trying to get them to go away, or you hear on your Twitter feed or on the news some of this crazy stuff about abductions and kidnappings, and so what do you do? You bring your kids to the house and you lock the door and you don't wanna go anywhere, right? Or you hear about the drug bust at the local high school, and you're thinking, man, drugs are being offered in school? Man, what are we going to do? Are we going to pull our kids out of school? Or are we going to have the tough conversation about what happens? You know, those are tough things. But at some point, church, at some point, we have to let go and let our kids stand to make their own decisions. We can't keep all the bees away. We can't keep the doors locked all the time. And at some point, your kids will have some kind of run-in with drugs or alcohol or those kind of things. And the question is, what will they do? Not what would we do, but what would your kid do? And it all comes down to courage and us giving them courage to take a stand, to do what's right, and to change the world. Here's a question we need to think about. Can our kids stand on their own faith in Jesus so today, I want to dig into a passage of scripture with you guys, and, and I want to look at another one from Paul. Uh, pastor's been using uh, Paul as kind of a writer in this the last couple of weeks, and we want to continue on with that uh, with a letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And so if you've got your Bible or a phone that has a Bible app, I want you to turn to the book of First Thessalonians. That's in your New Testament, First Thessalonians. And we're going to look through this chapter, and, and verses 11 and 12 kind of give us our premise and thought for how we're going to use this in our series. And in verse 11, he says this, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Now, Paul is, is talking to his churches because he didn't have any biological kids. He had spiritual kids at all of these, these churches. And so he says, hey, I want you to understand what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to treat you just like you would treat your kids. And in verse 12, he goes on and he says, now we've pleaded with you. We've encouraged you. We've urged you to live, uh, to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. 
He lists the things that that parents do for their kids, right? They plead with them. They urge them to live the correct life. But in the middle of that passage, he uses this word encourage. And, And it's probably one of the most important words in this passage. But think about this word. The word encourage is in and courage. That means that they take the courage and they put it inside of you. One of your jobs as a parent or a grandparent or whatever role that you're playing is to encourage your children, to put courage inside of them. It says that they were encouraged to live lives that God would consider worthy. So how do we take our children How do we take an entire generation? How do we equip them and empower them to stand for Jesus and to live a life of courage? I mean, that's a difficult question, right? Because most of the time we don't even know what courage is ourselves. And so we don't really know what it means to encourage except to think, get rid of all your fears, right? I mean, so you're asleep and all of a sudden your kid comes into your room. And isn't it amazing how quiet they can be when getting to your room, right? And then they get very close and you can feel them breathe on your face. And then they scream, Dad, I've had a nightmare. And our reaction after peeling ourselves off the ceiling is to go, go back to your room. It was all just a dream. You're okay. It wasn't real. You realize that does not help your kid at all, right? But there's times that we don't know what would help. But I want to give you some advice from Scripture today, not because I'm an expert, but because I'm beginning to understand this word courage a little bit more, and I want to show you what we found in Scripture. And so we're going to use chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians to, to kind of be our guide. And we're going to camp out at the end of verse 2 and show you three things in there for you to take notes and to kind of walk through today. So let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says this, Now you yourselves know, my dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi And we came to you and how much we suffered. Yet our God has given us courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So let me give you some context so you can better understand Paul's journey in writing this letter. Now, in Acts chapter 15, we see that that the Jewish Christians have now said, hey, Christianity is open to everybody. It's open to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. And Paul gets so excited that he volunteers to go and tell all of the churches that they've planted that now this is the new way. And so uh, he gets together, he gets his buddy named Silas, and they decide to go back. We're going to go and encourage all the churches that we planted on our first trip. And so that's the plan. They're going to go back to Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And as he's getting ready, he has this dream about a man from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is around Greece. And in this dream, the man says, Paul, come to us. We need you here. So Paul wakes up from this dream and goes, hey guys, new plan. We're headed to Macedonia because those people over there need Jesus. And so he starts out and they take a ship and, and, and they go to Philippi. And you can read all about this after chapter 15 and Acts 16 and 17 in the book of Philippians. But, but Paul's practice was he would go into the synagogue or the church and he would begin to preach. And when he gets there, there's no synagogue and, and he finds just some women praying by the river. 
and it's crazy. Revival breaks out. People start getting saved. And, and, and as you know, when good things for the gospel happen, people get upset. And so the officials, they get upset and they, they start, uh, you know, freaking out about it. And they grab Paul and they throw him in prison. But Paul, taking advantage of every circumstance, this Philippian jailer is there and he starts sharing Christ with him. And this guy gets saved. And if we can just get off the subject for just a second, no matter where you are today, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter where you are, and if you're on the top of the mountain or you're like him in the, in the bottom of the cellar, there's a chance to share Jesus no matter what you're going through because the courage to talk about Jesus, listen to me, can change somebody's eternity. But as he leads this man to Christ, they find out that Paul is a Roman citizen. And they quickly open the gates and say, hey, so sorry, our bad, you're good to go. And so he leaves Philippi and he goes on to Thessalonica. That's where we get this letter. But now he spends a few weeks teaching in the synagogue and, and people are getting saved again and he's preaching and, and even some of these pagans are coming to know Christ. Ministry is going phenomenal. But once again, leadership gets a little cranky and the Jews get upset and they start stirring up trouble. It says they're troublemakers, which really means they're just some thugs, right? And they start spreading rumors about Paul and they start chasing him out of town. And so he leaves and he goes on to Berea. Revival breaks out. It's awesome. And, and, and as those guys in Thessalonica, they come and to Berea, chase him out of there. Paul again leaves, ends up in Athens and then in Corinth. And then by the time he gets to Corinth, he is just exhausted He's tired. He's beat up. Anybody ever been there before? You're just out of gas. You're trying to do everything right. And so he wants to get back to Thessalonica where he started and encourage them, but he feels blocked because they keep chasing him away. So he writes to these people this letter and he says, you guys know of all of my problems, but God's given us courage and he can give you courage as well. So in the second half of verse two here, we see three things in the back end of this verse where it says, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So if you're taking notes, you're writing it down or putting it in your phone, here's the first one that I want you to get. That courage is given by God. That courage is given by God. Look at, Verse two here, it says, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Now listen, God is the one who will give your kids courage because he's the true source of courage. That's why it's so important that we say that you stay plugged in, that you stay plugged in here around the church, that your, your kids, your little ones, they go into our preschool and they hear with our new curriculum that they can walk through Genesis to Revelation their entire time. They're not too young. We're going to lay the word of God over them. We're going to speak it over them. We're going to pray over them. Then they, It's important for them to be in the children's ministry and in the student ministry and community. That's why it's important for you to spend time daily with God that you're studying, that you're learning, that you're praying, that you're memorizing God's word. You have to stay plugged in to the source of courage, which is God. But Paul goes on to talk about some of the distractions that come with this. 
Because he says this courage gives us a purpose to please God. But when we start trying to please people, it kind of saps our courage, right? Look at verses four through six. It says this, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. You know, when our whole world is built around making other people happy or trying to impress them or trying to get them to like you. I mean, this just sounds like junior high lunch, right? I mean, trying to get people to think you're cool and and to do all these things. It says, so when you live like this, you're trying to please and impress other people, then you'll do the things that are easy to win their affection rather than doing the things that are courageously right. We'll pick what's easy over what's right. So when it comes down to it, Do you want your kid to be influenced or do you want them to be an influencer? Do you want them to be a thermometer or a thermostat? You know, a thermometer tells you the temperature of the room. A thermostat sets it. And by encouraging your kids to to receive that courage from the Lord, they can begin to set the temperature around them, the tempo around them, and they'll begin to be leaders. Whether big or small, it doesn't matter but they'll say no to temptation and start to affect others. Courage is given by God. But let's look at the second thing that Paul talks about in this passage. Courage is powered by gospel change. Courage is powered by gospel change. Let's look at verse two again. It says, yet our God gave us the courage, what? To declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Paul knew that courage had an end goal. It was to spread the good news, the gospel. Why? Because he knew it could change lives. It was powerful to change the course of human history. And and, and we know this because he continues in verses 8 through 10 and he says this, Now we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached the God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses And so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. You know, to share the gospel with with courage and conviction, it's it's a good idea to be transformed by it first. You know, uh, order really does matter, doing things in the right order. I mean, it makes me think back to when I was a young youth pastor. So I I was a uh, youth pastor for 14 years. And when I started out young and in my early 20s, and man, I knew everything. And if you didn't understand that, you could just ask me because I could tell you. And these parents would come in and they would sit at my table and they say, what do I do with my kid? They just, they don't want to follow the Lord. They're making all these bad decisions. And I'm like, well, let me show you the way. And I would open scripture and I would say, if you would do this and this and this, your child will love Jesus. 
and they will be first round pick. They will be first chair and band. They will be first this and first that. All you got to do is follow God's game plan. They would weep and cry and I would pray with authority over them. And then God decided to show me his sense of humor by giving me my own kids. <laughs> to which I realized I knew absolutely nothing at 25 about kids. I knew nothing about why they made the decisions they do, why their brain didn't work, why their heart was evil. I mean, my, my, my kids were, were evil, it felt like. I had to apologize and say, I don't know anything. Who knows why they make the decisions they make? But for me, it changed because I had a different experience there. And I'll tell you this, your story is developed by your experiences and especially your story with Jesus. So parents, I have to tell you this, you must share your story with your kids. Man, they need to hear it. They need to hear about how your life was and then how Jesus changed it completely. And you may be embarrassed of your story. You may be frustrated with your story, but your kids need to hear it. This is vital that you do now. I mean, right now, with a sense of urgency, all of the data says this. You have a small window where the likelihood of your kid accepting Christ will happen. Most kids, if they're going to come to faith, come to faith before the age of 18, which for some of you is only a couple of years left, and they need Jesus, you may think they don't want to hear my story, but they do. You have to have courage to jump out there and share and watch what happens to see what, what God will do as your kids begin to engage with your story as their parent. Remember what verse 8 says? It says that um, we loved you so much that we shared the good news and our lives also. What a great model that is. I mean, I got to tell you, I believe in this generation. I believe in their passion, their influence, their intensity, their loyalty. And when you show them Jesus, when you share your life, you begin to take courage and you put it into their hearts. And when we power up this generation of influencers, they're going to change the world. I'm not just talking about changing things right here. I'm talking they are going to influence the world for the name of Christ. And do you know what kids and teenagers and students with a passion for Jesus encouraged in their hearts do? They change the world. Do you know what courageous kids do? They get involved in the work of God. They don't sit on the sidelines. They, they see where God is and they get involved. Courageous students make an impact in their school, right? It's not about leaving anyone out. It takes less courage to make fun of someone and more courage to stand up for someone. That, that courageous kids include other people. That, that we teach our children that kindness is courage. The gospel changes us. It gives us right standing in God's presence. Our kids no longer have to be afraid of God. But courageous kids, like Hebrews 4 says, says that they go and approach God's throne with confidence. That's the hallmark of gospel power at work in a life. This isn't just about sharing your faith or your testimony to check off a box. It's about being a Christian in every avenue of your life around other people. And that's what it'll take to see real life change. 
And all we're doing is pointing them to the Lord because he's the one that's able. He's the one that walks with them. He's the one who gives courage. I, I, I was, as preparing for this message, I got some volunteers together and we were working through some of these things and one of our volunteers gave me this passage. And it's so incredible when thinking about this, we're pointing them to Jesus. It's, it's God who works in their life. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses one and two. He says, but now, O Jacob, Listen to the Lord who created you. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I've ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I could get an amen on that one right there. There is a God who is able and the power that comes when a life is changed through, through the death and resurrection and faith placed in his son, that the courage is given by God, but courage is powered by gospel change. So here's our third part, that courage is proven in opposition. That courage is, is proven in opposition. Look back at verse two, it says this, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Now, no one likes opposition. Nobody likes it, but, but we all need it, right? I, I was thinking back on this and my wife, when my kids were, were really young, uh, took them out to the pond to go feed the ducks because apparently that's something you do, right? And what that means is you get a, a bag of old bread that you can't make into that peanut butter and sandwich. It'll stick to the roof of your mouth anymore, all right? It's all dried up. And you go out to a pond and there's duck and there's geese and there's all these things. And so my, my daughter, who's three or four years old, probably at this time, heads out and she gets her bag and she starts throwing it to the ducks. And the ducks come and skim on the water and come and eat it. So, I mean, it's Instagrammable, right? It's like the beginning of a Hallmark movie that are all over things right now, right? And, and it's just beautiful. And she's enjoying God's creation, enjoying this moment. Our son is not having the same experience. He's little, can barely walk. He's sitting there. He's got his bag of bread. And yet he does not want to give the bread to the ducks. He wants to eat the bread. And so the ducks gather together and begin to puff up and spread out their wings and make their way towards him. And one brazen duck gets closer and closer and goes for the bread. And my son grabs that duck by the neck <laughs> and continues to eat his bread. Opposition neutralized. This duck didn't stand a chance. It's not the situation we wanted, but we saw his courage take over because he didn't want to let go of the bread. Everybody from time to time has their courage tested. But that also includes there are times when our faith needs to be tested. Your child's faith needs to grow. It needs to flourish. And one of the things that will bring up or drive down deep roots and, and bring up much fruit is opposition. Many times opposition can take a more serious form and, and that form is called persecution. Look in verses 13 through 16. Paul writes, therefore, 
We never stop thanking God that when you received this message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they've persecuted us too. They failed to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. Honestly, this is a very difficult thing to think about. No one really desires this for their kids. No one actively seeks out difficulties for their children. But maybe we should. Maybe the reason they don't stand up on their own faith is we've made their faith journey too easy for them. The path of least resistance isn't producing the best results. You know, there was a study several years ago that came out about why kids who grow up in the church are leaving the church. And there was this term kind of coined called uh, being a helicopter parent. Y'all ever heard of that? Being a helicopter parent, it's these parents that kind of hover around their kids. They help them. They clean up their messes. Oops, don't do that. Hey, let me do that for you. Hey, you get an F on a test. That's okay. I'm going to email your teacher and email your teacher and email your teacher, email your teacher until she pulls her hair out and gives you the grade that you don't deserve. That they didn't learn anything, but they got the grade that they wanted. They clean up the mess for their kids wherever they go. And let me promise you, helicopter parents aren't doing their kids any favors. But there's a new term that come out that's even funnier, y'all. It's this term, lawnmower parents. These are the parents that go in front of their kids and just clear the path. They make sure the ground is nice and level, no challenges, no problems. It's all super easy. Their kids never have to worry about the F word, failure. You know, that's where participation trophies come in. Uh-oh, I just hit a nerve with somebody, <laughs> right? We need kids who are courageous enough to understand how to deal with failure or a loss. We need kids who, when they make a mistake, can go and fix their own things and learn from it. The path of least resistance won't teach your kids the resilience they need for their faith in Christ. We've got to stop teaching them unless it's easy, it's not worth doing, And you, you wonder why at the beginning that I told you all of this stuff uh, about Paul. It, it's how he got to where he was, what happened to him, you know, why the history lesson through Acts 15, 16, and 17. But I wanted you to understand the road of opposition he took to get to this passage. Because there's a type of courage that I want for my kids, the type of courage you want for your kids, the type of courage that's proven through opposition. James even said we could count it all joy when we face opposition. Why? Because opposition strengthens our faith. Franklin Roosevelt, our former president, had a, uh, a, a, a proverb that he had quoted that I think really applies here, and it's this, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Did you get that? 
A smooth sea never created a skilled sailor. How true is that? Our kids need to weather some storms. They, they need to solidify their faith and they need to be able to stand in their own faith for Jesus. You know, if someone makes fun of us, yeah, that's tough. That's hard. When they call you names online, hey, join the club, right? If they disagree with you, let me give you some news. It won't be the last time. There's gonna be people disagreeing with you your whole life. And sometimes we think that this is the worst thing that could happen. Look, do you understand that there are places all over the world where they literally destroy and tear down churches? In China, actually, they began to tear down crosses and demolish buildings. And when we see someone make fun of our faith online, we, we get upset, right? They, they've done us wrong. Come on, church. Let me tell you, courage invites opposition. But courageous people know that it will actually prove their faith. So what do you think is going on in China right now? Do you think the church is failing under this persecution? It's not. Since the beginning of the communist uh, revolution, there were 10 million believers. Today, as it stands, 100 million believers. Not because it's got the right leader or the right decisions going on, but because they were courageous enough to say, I know there's opposition, but God can use us. Courage is not the absence of fear, remember? Or obstacles or problems. It's ability to say, I believe that there is a God who can through me. So it's on us to help build a generation to stand courageously in their own faith. So the question is today, what do we do? Here's four things that I want to give you just as we close very quickly. That when you understand what God is doing and how we need to put courage in this next generation, here's what we do today. Number one, be open and vulnerable. So many of us have just closed down our lives, even from our own kids. And you, you've got to be open with your kids. Help them see the journey that you've walked, your wounds, your walk, and how you choose to be with Jesus. Of course, do it in the most appropriate manner, but be open, be vulnerable. Number two is direct them to God's word. You know, when Joshua in the Old Testament, who was next in line after Moses, was given the chair of leadership, God spoke something over him. And he said, be strong and courageous. And we go, yeah, now's your time. Be strong, be courageous. But in the same breath, he said, be strong and courageous and do not let the law depart from your mouth. But you should meditate on it day and night. His courage, his strength, were gonna come from the word of God that would direct his path to be God's man to lead God's people. Third is this. Pray specifically over their life. Let me just tell you something. No one will pray for your kid like you do. And there are students who may go their whole life because they don't have a mom and a dad or a grandparent or a foster parent or someone that watches over them who's ever prayed for them by name. No one will pray for your kid like you will, and no one will listen like God will. 
We pray specifically over their life. And number four, speak life over and over and over again. You know, at the end of the Wizard of Oz, in the great Emerald City, and the Wizard of Oz has been revealed to be just a man behind a curtain. And you see a scarecrow and a tin man and a lion having deep needs for a brain, a heart, and courage. They really didn't walk away with anything much different, but when the man got to the lion, he gave him this medal of courage. Now, it wasn't anything different about it, but what it did do is it reminded him of the affirmation that was just spoken over him. That courage was inside of him. And for our kids who hear so much negativity, how they don't measure up, how they never will make an impact, how they're wrong. They hear it in every Twitter feed and every Instagram post. They hear it in every hall room and our, our hallway and classroom. They're told how it'll never work out. Our job is to speak life and to remind them of who God is in their life. We got to speak life over and over and over. And so today what I want to do is I want to end service a little differently than normal. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody in the room just to stand where you are and we're going to pray together. And I'm going to pray over our three points that we discussed in verse two. And what I'm going to ask is with everybody's heads bowed and their eyes closed at that moment, if you or your child needs one of those things that you would just raise your hand and I'm just going to pray over you. Then we're going to move to the next thing. But if you just say, man, I, I need this in my life. I need this in my kid's life or I've got someone that, that needs this. I just want to pray for you. And so even if you're watching online or if you're in our chapel or if you're here in this room, I want to ask you to just stand together in this moment. And I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. And the first thing that I want to pray over is if you or your child need courage from God today, you need courage to live the life of Christ, that you would just raise your hand right now and just leave it up. And I just wanna pray over you in this moment. God, I pray for these who have their hands raised, who are bold enough to say, God, I need your help. God, I pray that as the giver of courage, as the source of courage, the reason we have courage, God, that you would just pour it into their life in this moment, into their life, into their kid's life. God, into the life of someone they're thinking of, God, that you would do a work to embolden them, to let their spirit rise up, not because of who they are or what they can muster, but because of who you are, God. God, would you give them courage in this moment? You can put your hands down. If you need a gospel change in your life, maybe you've been around church, you've heard the story, you've got the t-shirt, and you say, I know about God, but I don't know God. Or maybe you've got a kid who's young and hasn't stepped into faith yet, but you're, you're longing for that day and you wanna pray for a gospel change in their life. Or maybe you've got a kid who wants nothing to do with the Lord a grown kid, a teenage kid, a wayward kid. 
and you say, I need the gospel to change their life, would you just, if that is you or someone that you know of, would you just raise your hand in this moment and leave it up and let me pray for you? Father, I thank you. God, that it's not just an understanding that you're good and we're not. But it's that in our sin, you loved us anyways. And God, you sent your son, Jesus. And upon living a perfect life, he went to the cross and he died for our sins. Was buried in a borrowed tomb. And through the power of God was raised to life. And if we would turn from our sins and place our faith in his death and resurrection, our lives will be changed. And God, I pray for the hands that are lifted up for people saying, God, that is me. And God, for those that are saying, that's my kid or that's someone I know, God, now is the time, let there be salvation. I pray that they would pray something like this. Dear Lord, I've sinned against you. God, I'm accountable for my sin. I know that your son Jesus lived, died on a cross for me, was buried and raised to life. And in the best way that I know how, I turned my back on my sin and I put my faith in your son Jesus. I pray that if that is you today, that you would understand that the Lord has come into your life. If that is for your child, that you're praying, God, one day let that be. You can put your hands down. And lastly, if you say we are facing opposition like never before, in my life, at work, or in my home, or my kids, in their school, or their team, every time we try to stand for our faith, we, we get scared, and we, we, we get embarrassed, and we don't know the words, and, and, and we just feel uh, opposition and persecution, and God, give me courage to stand. If that is you or your kid, just let me see your hand, and I want to pray for you. God, in this room, we know that opposition and persecution can feel scary at times, but our courage comes from you. It comes from change through the gospel. And Lord, I pray over these today that say, I need courage in the face of opposition. Lord, that you would give them strength to stand, that they would stand on your word, on the finished work of your son's cross. And God, that courage would be the defining hallmark of their child or their own life. So Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.